The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run Walsh. If it's first and ten, Walsh. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We appreciate you tuning in, and even though it's not mandatory, but you know what is mandatory is minicamp coming up this week, uh, so it gives you something to look forward to. This is Matt Stagner here, as always, with my guy, Ron Cobb Jr. Ron, how you feeling today? Pulled that out. Pulled the pun out last minute. I love that. The mandatory pun. Yes. No, I appreciate you, Stags, uh, joining me again. Um, it's always good to do this show. We're doing it bi-weekly now, so, you know, a little more time between shows, but we got some questions today from the listeners. That's the best part. You know, we're getting the listeners more involved. As we did last year, you know, we always took your questions during the season, and we're going to be doing that a lot of bit, uh, a lot today. Um, but we also got a bunch of other stuff to break down. So, Stags, let's let's get into some stuff today. Yeah, well, first of all, there was some breaking news. Um, I had to check the date of the tweets when they came out, but I saw that the Chiefs signed Jarek McKinnon, running back, um, to a one-year contract. And no, that wasn't the C.J. Spiller uh, joke tweet that everybody sends out. McKinnon mm-hmm. is back. And he joins a pretty crowded running back room. Uh, and that's really a couple of the questions that you all had. And we can maybe just work those into the answers here. But uh, so Mike Blair asks, with the addition of McKinnon, do you think there's any chance that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire might be the odd man out? Ron, what do you think about that? You know, I, I have Jet coming in. I, I, love, I love the signing, first of all. I mean, I think he was just such an asset down the stretch. Um, and so I really like that they brought him in. The Chiefs always want to bring in a veteran back, it seems like. Um, but to answer this question directly, Mike, a guy that, you know, definitely follows us on Twitter. Shout out, Mike. Yeah, he's, a, he's a constant question asker and follower. Uh, come on. I, I, I really don't think so. I, I don't think there's a chance that this really affects Clyde's workload. I really think, you know, we're, we're, we're dialed in for a Clyde season. And I know, Stags, I think you're on that same train with me. Um, but I, yeah, I really don't see this being an, uh, Clyde being the odd man out. I think other, a few other running backs maybe need to be, uh, you know, looking at themselves a little bit more now. Yeah, I think that's a popular thing to generalize and and be down on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Really, the only thing that he hasn't done well so far is stay healthy, in my opinion. He's been a productive player when he's on the field. He's gone through obviously more injuries than we'd like to see for for a player in his first couple of seasons, and. The, the news of the off-season gall, gallbladder thing and the, the weight loss, you know, it does raise a lot of questions about, you know, his health and what he was playing with and, and what weight he was playing at and all of that stuff. Uh, a healthy Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a very productive running back. Uh, and if used properly, like we hope he is this year, um, he's going to be a big part of the offense. Yeah, because I think he's one of the only guys really coming back with the offense that has continuity with with Mahomes, you know, familiarity with the offense. Andy Reid, too, kind of Andy Reid, you know, his comfort in giving him the ball, putting him in certain situations. There's a lot of new faces, you know, whether it's Ronald Jones at the position, but also the receiver position, obviously, we're going to talk about. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. That gallbladder stuff, man, that that is kind of something that we really need to monitor and something that Clyde addressed um, when he talked 
uh, with with reporters at OTAs last week. And, you know, I, I do think he he came out. He was pretty confident. He came out, you know, kind of firing, kind of, you know, being pretty, you know, uh, matter of fact in terms of, you know, hey, I'm I'm here like I'm here to be a big part, you know, and kind of it's always good to hear that kind of stuff because I really do think he's he's in for a good season. And I really like this trio they they kind of have here with Clyde, Ronald Jones, and, and Jet as that third guy, maybe. And that's where I really think the fourth guy, it, it, you know, it's going to be, a, a, you know, an up for debate kind of thing. And that's something we can talk about another time because that, but right now, the trio of Clyde, Rojo, and Jet, I really like that trio, honestly. I really think that's a, a nice little trio to go into the season with. I'll say, I don't think it's a guarantee yet that McKinnon makes the roster. It's a good uh, point. Like you yeah. said, they, they do tend to bring in veteran running backs, whether they need them or not. And so we'll see how the competition plays out. But to get to Jay Huff's question uh, from Twitter, uh, Jay underscore Huff 83, with McKinnon being re-signed, is it possible they use Pacheco like they did Hill earlier in his career as a wide receiver slash running back slash return specialist? Pacheco is an interesting one when it comes to the McKinnon signing. And that's my first thought when McKinnon was signed was Pacheco and Ely. Those are These are two promising young running backs uh, that the Chiefs brought in late in the draft and then undrafted free agency this year that both have some of this versatility that could play multiple roles for this team. In fact, Jerry Ely is listed as a wide receiver slash running back. So what do you think uh, about Pacheco or Pacheks in his (laughs) role being affected by McKinnon uh, being the, the new the, the old speed guy in town affecting the new speed guy. Yeah. Well, I, I do think uh, you made it, you brought it up last podcast and I think it's a good point with Pacheco being a guy that, that embraces pass protection and actually has, has excelled at it. Um, has looked pretty good at it, which makes sense. He's a vet. He's a, he's a guy that has a lot of carries in, in college, played a lot of, of football. You know, he, he played since he first got to Rutgers and so he has a lot of experience, you know, as, as a running back, he wasn't used necessarily in a special way. Um, he, he was more of a, a, a running back and a straight line speed guy on kick returns, uh, you know, sometimes. So that's where in this to answer this question directly, it does seem like Ely would fit more what uh, what Jay Huff's talking about. Right. I think Ely is more of that guy that could sneak in, you know, maybe as a receiver type, you know. And, and again, we mentioned that on the last pod, you know, make sure if you haven't you know caught him, you're catching up on him because um, we talk about, you know, there's so many things to talk about, guys. We're hitting on everything. And. You know, you got to make sure you don't miss an episode. But no, I just want to give you credit because that was something you brought up last time. And I really think it's an interesting point that, you know, Ely, you know, with his skill set, you know, maybe they want to wait, you know, not waste a spot, I should say, but use a receiver spot on a guy like Ely just to get him on the roster. If maybe he's not a true running back like some of the other guys. Yeah, there's there's spots down down the roster at running back and wide receiver for somebody who can play special teams. And so we'll we'll see how that all plays out. How about uh, from Brett, 86 Eight six one five six nine five four. Brett at a bunch of numbers on Twitter says, "How will the offense change with Tyreek Hill's absence?" And and, and we can just flow right into Wyatt Hinton uh, asking, "Could Mahomes struggle this year stat wise without the deadly threat of Tyreek Hill?" Yeah, exactly. And this is a great place for me to plug my summer series. I hope you guys are, are catching the first couple of uh, uh, articles so far on the site. Dropping every Wednesday, um, either in the morning or, or midday. Um, but it's called the Read Remix, which, first of all, first of all, proud of myself a little bit for the name. Made it up myself. I think it's pretty good. I think it has a little ring to it, you know. Uh, the Read Remix. And my first edition, actually, is what I'm going to talk about here. And, and Brett laid it out for me perfectly because that's exactly the premise of the article is how the offense will change um, with Hill no longer part of the team. And we haven't seen Tyreek Hill not be in Andy Reid's offense since the 2015 season. I know 2016 is rookie year. He was more of a, a gadget guy as actually we just sort of talked about in our last question, but it's, it is a huge difference and it's something we're going to have to see an adjustment to. And I had three basic things that I kind of outlined and stags whenever you want to, you know, uh, uh, get in here because I do think there's some interesting points in what I'll lay out here, but I think the first thing I wanted to point out was I really do think that we could see a less a, a, a smaller reliance on the RPO game in terms of the run pass option plays that, you know, we saw a lot of the Chiefs use on these early downs, you know, uh, the first and second downs to run the ball, not not design run, but not design run plays, not, you know, not these, these under center plays. A lot of times their basic run plays on early downs were these RPO calls and half the time they're being called passes. Right. And so 
you're not only are you not running as much, you're breaking the run plays you do call in half or even more than half into pass plays too. And so I really think you could you could see that change, um, specifically the RPO game not being as prevalent of a part of the offense. Man, fr- from your lips to Andy Reid's ears on that one, man, that's that would be a, a welcome change. I think the RPO thing was a was a cool trend a couple of years ago when when it became a big thing with the Chiefs, and it really was, you know, RPOs Tyreek Hill's role in those it yes. has been uh, substantial, and and he is that's one of the things he's known for. And you're starting to see articles now saying, uh, could Tyreek Hill with the Dolphins be the best RPO receiver in the league? I saw that headline recently. So it is one of those things that does go along with Tyreek Hill. And I do hope that they get away from it because I think it'll help the running game, uh, having actual designed runs, hopefully some gap scheme runs that that fit the running backs that they have. Um, And then have Patrick Mahomes actually use the play action game and actually, you know, have, you know, the, the, the play call come in from the sideline. Um, I think there could be, uh, there could be some benefits to that. Exactly. And, and, and to get back to why RPOs are just so, you know, uh, such a big part of what Hill brought to the offense was because no other off player and it's obvious, right. But no other player can do what Hill does. And the reason you want to have that RPO option all the time, whenever you run a play, is because Hill can take that 60 yards sometimes. And it's like you want to have that payoff, even if maybe it negatively affects your running game to an extent. You know, it's worth the payoff of Hill maybe taking a, a pass and going 30, 40 yards on, on a particular play. No other team, no other player on the offense can do that. Hardman has the speed to do that, but not the shiftiness, not the in-space ability. And so that's where it just may not have the same payoff. So why make it such a prevalent part of your offense moving forward, like we're saying? Should we take a, a quick step back and, and maybe define what we mean when we're talking about RPOs? So RPO stands for run pass option, right? Um, it, it's a play where the quarterback has the option to hand it off or to throw it. And the throws are almost always of a certain variety, uh, right? A, a yeah. quick slant, uh, the, the quick wide, wide receiver bubble, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. It, it is a – these very quick short throws um, – in place of the run is that is that the way you define the rpo or is there something more to it yeah to get even more specific you know you're exactly right and and a lot of these rpos a lot of what we see not all of them but a lot of them are post snap reads so what you see is mahomes take the snap he's looking at a particular defender so for for example if it's a slant route being the pass call along with an inside zone run it's always it's usually inside zone as as the rpo inside or outside zone as the run option of the play he's going to read a linebacker if that linebacker flows with the run he just left a wide open window for that slant route to be run into, right? If that linebacker just sits there, then he's obviously not going to be able to contribute to defending the run, but he's also going to be blocking that slant from being completed. So why, obviously, you don't throw the slant there, you run it, and that puts that linebacker in a bind. And sometimes, no matter what the option is called, you can be successful just because the linebacker is like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? Because he knows he's being read, and that's where a lot of it can can really, you know, Mahomes can mess with with these guys. And that's where it's an advantage because Mahomes is really good at this stuff and really good at manipulating defenders with his eyes. And so that's why it's been such a good thing for them to use. There's also post or uh, pre-snap RPOs, though, I should say, where sometimes Mahomes just know, can see, hey, you know, maybe this guy has 10 yards of cushion on, on the line of scrimmage as a receiver. If I just know real quick that's the case, I can throw a five-yard hitch to him real quick and let him just you know, do his thing. And he knows that before he snaps the ball. So there's a, a few different varieties of them. But all in all, at the, at the line of scrimmage, Mahomes is either calling a pass or a run. It's not a designed run play. And sometimes the offensive linemen, that can screw them up, right, not get them to fly off the ball. And that's where it can be a really disadvantage. And that's why we're talking about we'd maybe like to see it just be a little different this year. And if I, if I recall correctly, the, the offensive line – generally blocks an RPO as if it were a pass. Yeah, well, uh, an inside zone run that they don't get down the field, right? And so that turns into being very soft in your blocking, right? Very, you know, like pass protection, very passive, right? Where you're kind of playing, you know, um, you're not getting downhill. You're not trying to blow people off the ball. So exactly, yeah, it's more passive. And you're not you're not creating holes. You're not creating run lanes and for big explosive plays if you're being passive, right? And so they that's, also that's can't get to that second level – Yes. In case it is a pass, because then you've got your ineligible man down. down exactly. Exactly. And that's where linebackers sometimes really good linebackers can take advantage of that all the time. That's it really happens quite a bit. You know, bad linebackers, the Chiefs take advantage of that. And that's, you know, a lot of times where you see the RPO succeed the most when the, a, an opposing team has terrible linebackers, which 
you know, I've talked about it a little bit before. The AFC West defender uh, defenses do not have very good linebackers, so that's another thing. But yeah, so that's that's kind of all the, the basics of that. Do you think some of that also contributes to Mahomes' indecision when in in some of those games where he struggled and he looked tentative, he wasn't kind of sure which what he was going to do. Um, do you think some of that, uh, if, if you've got a particularly athletic defense or creative defense, uh, and he's trying to take take it to that next level and to read that that play after the play call uh, or after the ball is snapped, um, could lead to that, to that just momentary hesitation uh, that, that throws off timing. Well, I think it's natural with Mahomes because I think he likes to have the ball in his hands. He likes to to make the plays. But I also, you know, do think that's a good point and something that we talk about. We want the coaches to call more design runs. Well, the benefit of an RPO is that if the team is defending the pass a lot, that run game is going to be open and you can hammer it. That can also be on Mahomes not being aggressive enough with the run game, not understanding that, hey, the big advantage right now is to hammer the ground game and for me to hand this ball off on these RPO calls. I can still make it look like I want to throw, and that's going to help the linebacker stay soft and stay off the ball. But guess what I can do in the huddle is tell my linemen, hey, I'm handing this ball off because they are dropping back in eight-man coverages and they are playing soft and we need to run the ball. We're calling RPOs, but I'm not going to pass this ball. And, like, obviously, you know, that can change. But just I, I do think there's some too. Mahomes and himself being in the game, the, the play of the game, needing to understand when it's important to run the ball, when it's more of an advantage, and not just always kind of, you know, wanting to pass the ball primarily. And I think that's just, you know, with experience will come. But I do think, you know, and it's not all in the, all in the coaches, and, and I think that's easy to say sometimes. And let's lean into this <clears> – <throat> excuse me, let's lean into this giant offensive line they've, they've built, yeah. these maulers, and, and let them let them eat. And I, I do hope, and I think a lot of people have made this uh, comparison, that the Ronald Jones acquisition speaks more to that. Yeah, Ronald Jones is not an RPO running back, right? He's no. <laughs> no, no. You watched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year with him and Leonard Fournette. They're downhill. They're a lot of downhill duo running running game, which duo means you know uh, double team blocks all, are all along the line. Yes, no, and we may see more of that, and that you know the Jones signing does kind of point towards it. So to the second half of the question, or to Wyatt's half of the question, could Mahomes struggle without Tyreek? Now, there are certain things that Tyreek Hill certainly makes happen that, that most receivers, other receivers, are not going to make happen. Um, he's certainly more feared, probably, than anybody that's remaining on the Chiefs roster. And there's there are those plays where he took, you know, a wide receiver screen and went 60 yards or yeah. – uh, you know, the the play, I'm thinking at the end of the uh, – one of those plays at the end of the Buffalo game yes. where he caught one and just blew through the defense that just not everybody else is – not anybody else is going to be able to do. So you, you're probably going to miss some of those massive plays that nobody else – that somebody else might get 20 yards and, and, and Hill's going to take it 80. Um, but statistically, do you think that's going to affect Mahomes' overall numbers by the end of the season? I do think there is something to it. Um, I do think the yardage will probably go down. I, I actually may, um, you know, I, I, I'd be pretty safe to say that the yardage, his yardage will go down. I think Tyreek, a lot of times, man, you know, he, like, again, you were just saying it, but he, he creates those extra yards after the catch. Something that he's just not going to have this year. But I also do think we were just talking about this design run game. I do think it could just make the offense just less reliant on passing yards, but maybe Mahomes' touchdowns go up, right? Maybe he's more, you know, they get into the red zone and that's where they really attack with, with the pass. Uh, you know, maybe it's just not, maybe they're not just dropping back as much as it did last year. Look at Mahomes' dropbacks. He had some of the highest, he, I think he dropped back some of the most in the entire NFL last year. Um, I just don't see that necessarily being the case this year. And and another point with this run game too, I just think it's an it's an easy way to, to kind of just, um, you know, soothe your way in, I guess, you know, a smooth transition into the new offense, right? Into all these new weapons and everything. You know, you might not have the capabilities, everyone on the same page to have a, a very complex passing game right off the bat, right? So I do think relying on the run game could also be a good way to ease ease the new players into the new system, into the new Chiefs, you know, Chiefs offense. And that could lead to less yards. You know, maybe Mahomes isn't as volume stats. Maybe he doesn't have the big, you know, leads the league in yards or whatever. Like he, he, he is usually at the top in yardage, but maybe he has more touchdowns, better touch on interception ratio. Um, you know, maybe... Maybe he just doesn't have the huge games, right? Maybe we just don't see the the you know the the huge 
block, you know, the crazy games, but maybe he's just more consistent and we see high touchdown numbers because, you know, he's just, they're being more efficient with the offense, maybe not relying on the pass as much. Well, specifically, if you, if you want to look at the numbers, there's a great article on arrowheadpride.com uh, from our guy, BK, Brandon Kyle yes. wrote. Yes. Uh, and, and what he tried to do is project the numbers for all the Chiefs wide receivers. And what he did was went back from 2018 through 2021, the Patrick Mahomes era. Uh, what does an average season look like? So Mahomes' average 17-game season is 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. First of all, the absurdity that that is an average <laughs> <laughs> aside. Yeah, you said um, average, right? <laughs> that's right. That's that's his average. Um, and so of that, about 2,750 yards were for wide receivers. Um, and if you break it down in his projections, not to give away the whole article, definitely go read it. But he, he really has two guys pretty evenly split at the top with Juju and MVS. Uh, with McColl and and Sky Moore behind them, uh, with no receiver hitting a thousand yards, but it pretty evenly distributed amongst those four. In a lot of ways, we talked about this prior to the show, Ron. They could be uh, BK could even be underestimating McColl here, maybe overestimating Sky Moore. So essentially, they these projections show about three guys in that eight hundred to a thousand yard range. So you've got good players having good seasons with Mahomes, uh, the numbers could still be there. Obviously, if Kelsey is still himself and you get something out of some of these other ancillary players, there's there, the way the offense could look different is that instead of being concentrated with just Hill and Kelsey, it's spread out amongst Kelsey plus four other guys. Which is exactly where why the passing game could – pop wide open compared to what it did last year because i think last year it was very easy to just say hey we're we're, we're keeping we're not letting tyreek beat us right and and i think that's a, why you saw a lot of the coverages you did last year defenses well, may the defense was, was may it not, defenses that didn't want him to be beat or was it the chiefs holding down his stats uh, i'm sorry <laughs> rambling ron will get to that later matt come on stags you know rambling ron's on that so no uh it is it, it is funny though because i think last year a lot of the defenses we're just, it was a lot of Tyreek focus why they were doing that. It, you know, it's, it's not Kelsey. I, you know, that's not Kelsey, you know, uh, threatening them vertically and making them do these two high, very soft zone coverages. It was Tyreek because actually, you know, Kelsey dominates zone coverages. They actually wouldn't want to run those zone coverages because, and that's why Kelsey still has great years. All that to say though, you don't know who to stop in this offense. And, and that, and we're going to get into that more because, you know, there's a lot of different receivers a lot of different names and we don't know which one's going to emerge. And that's kind of what B, BK's point in this article was too. You know, they're all very even. And I think that's probably a fair assessment. What we know right now, what it'll look like. So I just, my point mainly was that the familiarity of all those guys, what now that they are better talents than what they had depth wise, the familiarity of the offense, it may take a while maybe for to get it going to where maybe the stats just dwindle a little bit, but I could see the offense, the passing offense still being explosive too, uh, you know, at one point. That's Fair enough. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that series, the Reed remix, or maybe you should just call it the Reed mix. Uh, <laughs> but uh, either way, uh, looking forward to that series, looking forward to learning more about uh, what you're seeing from the offense and what your predictions are. Patrick uh, Pahomes, our guy, not a Chiefs fan on Twitter, says what under the radar player is going to have a breakout season. There's a decent chance we've already mentioned them so far in this podcast, but uh, who's your breakout player? player candidate i'm not sure we have stags have we mentioned jody fortson the the people's the people's champ um <laughs> i don't think we have and, and you know i keep talking about familiarity and continuity in the offense being such an important key point um with with what we're talking about here with the offense fortson it has more familiarity than you might think you know he's been around the chiefs organization for quite a few years um and you know he's 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 probably caught a, a few practice balls from mahomes um although i guess you know he wasn't there from Mahomes. He might not. I don't think he was there for 2017, I guess, before Mahomes took over starting. But I think there's familiarity there. And I also think the other point that I want to make here with Jody Fortson is we talk about Noah Gray, kind of how he matched up so well with what Kelsey does as a tight end, kind of the, the hybrid kind of type tight end. What with specific things that Kelsey does, like especially when they isolate him on one side of the, uh, of the formation, basically as the X receiver and he faces that cornerback himself. I think a lot of the stuff they ask him to do in those particular situations 
Fortson's probably the best direct substitute to for. And that's where I think, you know, if there is any, you know, um, if Kelsey does need any more, um, you know, there's another question here, which we'll get into um, with, with, with just Kelsey, you know, if, if Kelsey needs any more, you know, less snaps or anything, and they need more, um, more work from the tight ends, I think Fortson in that role specifically could definitely fill um, more than I think the other tight end on the roster could honestly. No, I, I love Jody Fortson. I think the, um, the physical profiles there being 6'6", you know, 240, and and the speed and athletic ability he's shown just in short glimpses last year is enough for all of us to, to continue to be excited about his possibilities, even if it's just a red zone threat, even if it's just one yeah. more guy that you have to account for down around the goal line. Um, and you never know, maybe he can develop into more than that. I, I like that guy. I mean, and I like the pick. Um my under-the-radar player this year that, that's going to have a breakout year, I'm going to go with a guy who who shouldn't be under the radar uh, and who we have talked about already before. Uh, I, I really do believe that uh, actually at this point um, that Juju Smith-Schuster might be uh, due to break out yet again. Uh, so it, it wouldn't be his first breakout year, um, but I think he's a guy that that's almost being underrated at this point in that wide receiver room something we haven't talked a lot about, uh, but a healthy Juju is somebody that, uh, you know, can put up 13, 1400 yards and has proven that in his career. Um, he's got a lot to prove still. He's still in that one year deal. He's still looking to get paid and that multi-year deal and, and it hasn't gotten it yet. So even with all the other names around him, I think he's now under the radar, uh, but I don't think it should be. Yeah, I, I agree with you that he is under the radar, and I and that's actually a good transition um, into Chef Boyardee's question at, at Chief Boyardee, um, because he act and and I'm taking maybe an opposite side as you hear, but lots of hype this year about how talented our team is. Here's his question, uh, by the way. Um, even though it's very different, who's the most likely to underwhelm or take a step back this year? I feel like Chiefs fans are sky high in the whole team, and I just can't imagine it plays out that perfectly. Yes, that is a very good observation. <laughs> Chef Boy RDG never plays out like we want it to. But, right. you know, I, I think this plays into your point that I, I picked uh, Juju Smith-Schuster for this one. I, I think it's naturally starting to feel like he's he might be the one that that maybe, you know, um, in the in the totem pole of, of pass catchers in this offense, he might be lower than than he needs to be to have kind of a, a big year. And that's where, you know, he may have to break out. You know, it may have to be a where he, he, you know, proves himself, you know, over time and breaks out, you know, above guys like MVS who we've heard, you know, maybe be taking the primary reps or I, I should say maybe just kind of being the favorite target of Mahomes, maybe having the, the most chemistry in OTA so far, which obviously is a good disclaimer to say OTAs is still OTAs. It's still just June. But I just want to break it down like this, man. You think about Kelsey still being that lead target getter, obviously. Obviously, I just mentioned MBS. But then Hardman, which I just talked about, too, having the most familiar, familiar familiarity in the offense, plus Clyde being involved in the passing game, too. I just think, you know, it could there could be a chance that Juju kind of gets buried more than we'd like him to be. And I, and I say all this with the fact, with knowing that I really like Juju on the team. I think it was a great signing. I really like how he plays. I think it's he's a good football player. I just think naturally he might be the one that's a little more squeezed out than we'd like like to see. So I think that plays into your point. Well, Chef Borard, DG, talking about who the fans are sky high on. Um, <laughs> and, and number one, LJ Sneed fan asked, uh, is Sky more worth all the hype he's getting right now? Um, you know, I would actually say that there hasn't been any sky more hype and he yeah. is somebody who might disappoint some who have expectations for him this year. So uh, he is somebody you're, you know, again, chef has it right here. Chief Borardi G uh, I noticed that it's both ways listed there. Chef and chief. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, he's trying to switch it up on us either way. Uh, he's right. Not everybody It's not going to play out that perfectly. Not every single player is going to perform to expectations or exceed expectations. I think when you have this crowded of a room of playmakers that it's going to be hard for a rookie wide receiver, especially one who hasn't been totally healthy through this offseason process, like Sky Moore, it's going to be hard for him to break out in this particular season. Now, that can change next year. Yes. Juju's on a one-year contract. MVS is probably going to be around longer. Uh, but McCole Hardman, you know, most people think he's on his way out after this season. 
Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but but we'll see um, how that plays out. But I could see a scenario where Sky Moore has a very quiet rookie season as he acclimates the NFL uh, and then starts to take off, um, uh, you know, pun intended, after this season. Yeah, of course. Uh, now, it is worth mentioning with Sky Moore that he's been nursing a hamstring injury. He suffered, well, he, he kind of maybe just tweaked a little bit in rookie minicamp. I don't think it's anything serious, but obviously, you know, there's no reason to push him in anything at this point in the offseason. You know, he obviously just hasn't had the same opportunity that guys like Justin Ross and MBS who are getting, you know, highlights by, you know, the chief social account tweeting them out, um, hyping them up. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. There really hasn't been any hype. And so I don't understand. I mean, he said, you know, to, to read his entire question, he said, I truly didn't hear much about him at all until like the day before the draft. And as much as I love the Justin Ross pickup, I feel like we should have gone for a more proven commodity alongside Juju, MBS and Kelsey. Obviously, I'm not sold on Hardman. Which, you know, I, that's why I actually, I, I actually disagree with him on the proven commodity thing. Um, I actually like them taking, you know, a guy maybe not as proven, but it, I wish it would have been more of a high ceiling guy. I think I was, I think we all were on the George Pickens train a little bit. Um, and that would have been, that would have fit that a little more. All that to say, though, I, the Juju point extends to the Sky more point, which is that he might just get buried. That might just be natural. And I agree with you. Might just be one of those things. He might just have to break out a little later in his career than we'd all like to, but. That, that's the thing. I, I don't think it'll be because he didn't have a great rookie year. Maybe he wasn't ready. Maybe I just think he has a lot of guys to compete with for, for targets. And that's just going to obviously, um, you know, with being a rookie and still, you know, he played at Western Michigan too. It's not the biggest school. So I think it's going to be an acclimation process for him for sure. Number one, Madden 08 fan, Chiefs fan, 158717 on Twitter. Do you think Joe Tooney could start if Orlando Brown Jr. were to not get a contract and he were to hold out. Uh, so a lot to unpack with this one. Uh, not only is he throwing out this scenario where they don't get the long-term deal done, um, but also that he doesn't, that he refuses to sign or play on the franchise tag and holds out for the entire season, which I think is highly unlikely just to get that out there. Yeah. I agree. This scenario would be pretty catastrophic for both player and team. Uh, he's losing a year of his prime. The team is using losing a year of his prime, and uh, you know they're stuck without their left tackle and, and kind of in a limbo situation. But in that doomsday scenario, is Joe Tooney the guy? You know, I, I do believe Joe Tooney is a good enough lineman to be a to be a plus starter. You know, maybe an above average starter at left tackle, but that would not be the plan if if this were to happen. This scenario were to happen, um, and it shouldn't be the plan. Because he's obviously a much better guard. He's one of the best guards in the NFL. And honestly, it would it would be a better, you know, it'd just be better overall if they just had, even if it's not the best left tackle, if they had him next to Tooney to, you know, and Tooney helps him with communication and, you know, kind of pass pro assignments and everything. Um, that would be more beneficial than having Tooney at left tackle than throwing some rando at, at guard, even if it is maybe Wiley who could probably fill in. But all yeah. that to say... You know, it'd be like, you know, they, they've ha been having Roderick Johnson maybe play some OTAs, uh, play at OTAs at, at that left tackle. It, it, it would be someone else. It, they, they're not sliding Tooney out. They're not practicing him in there. Um, right. That was more of a, a you know, uh, last-minute situation last year, obviously, when he did play in the Bengals game. And and that's what it will continue to be. There's there, He is not going to be a left tackle. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's a great player, but he's an emergency tackle only. Get used to Jaron Christian. Uh, or Andrew Wiley as your left tackle in this scenario, uh, and 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 again, it's not a pretty picture and not one that, that I expect to happen whatsoever. Yeah, and the drawn Christian name is the one to bring up too, I, I for sure. But I I, I do want to say I, I do think it's important for the people to know Roderick Johnson. Um, he was a Texans tackle. He does seem to be playing left tackle currently, you know, with Brown not being there, um, from what I have gathered. So I think that is important for the people to know. Yeah, that's a question. That's one of the things that people were looking forward to seeing uh, in OTAs, who lines up at left tackle with Orlando Brown Jr. not there. So Roger Johnson, uh, probably a new name for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's the scenario you're looking at if Joe Tooney, uh, or I'm sorry, if Orlando Brown Jr. were to hold out. Again, I don't see that happening uh, yeah. from all reports. You know, they're they're working towards that deal. For whatever he says in the media, there's a whole leverage play there, but I think both the team and player want to get it done. Deadlines drive action and wait until the July deadline, the day before, and, and you're likely to see a deal there. 
worst case scenario, he'll play on the franchise tag exactly. because he knows he's going to get massive money next year if, if he doesn't get a deal this year. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I, I, I agree. I really think it's going to get done. He just, you know, he's working, you know, through get, or he did fight, he did hire an agent. So yeah, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be done. I imagine. I can't imagine that's dragged out. You know, I think it's time for a, a quick break uh, to hear from our sponsors, pay a couple of bills. And I understand, Ron, you have another would you rather to throw out at us. Yes. No, that's a thinker, guys. So listen close, because I really think this will this will take you a fancy if you were a 90s Chiefs fan at all. Um, and even me, I wasn't born in any of these years, but I do think there's still an interesting um, thought to this as a Chiefs fan. So, you know, just imagine the 1990s Chiefs uh, that 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 decade you know, under Marty Schottenheimer. Imagine they came through one of these years and won a Super Bowl. I'm saying, would you rather have happened, this happened, the Super Bowl uh, championship happened in 1993, which just to remind you, Joe Montana year, um, obviously Marcus Allen, you know, going to the AFC championship, losing to the Bills in Buffalo. So 93, 95, one seed in the, in the entire AFC, losing to the Colts at home, the Lynn Elliott game, or 1997, also being the one seed, having that home field advantage, but then losing to Denver in that divisional round. Which one of those years, if you had to only pick one and then the rest stayed how it was, would you have rather have happened that the Chiefs actually pushed through and won the Super Bowl? Listeners, uh, you know, uh, tune or obviously think about that one while we throw it a break. And then on the other side, we'll kind of discuss maybe what we're thinking there. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, we're back here at, at the uh, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, out of structure podcast. We're here um, talking Chiefs, as always, answering your questions this time, which I'm really glad. It's, it's been fun so far, and we got more questions on the way. But I had a question for you. I flipped it around on you, the listeners, and Stags is also going to answer this for us. But again, you know, I, I, I broke it down before the break. Imagine the 1990s Chiefs had a Super Bowl championship under Marty Schottenheimer, and they came through in one in one of the years that they got close. Which year would you have rather it happened? 93, 95, or 97? Stags, when I when I asked you that question, you thought about it quite a bit. You put some thought into it. What do you think uh, when you think about that? Yeah, you know, there is some nuance here. And this is one of those questions that on the surface, when you first said that I had, I had a quick answer and then I started thinking about it and I could see this going a number of different ways. So number one, obviously seeing Marty win a title would have been phenomenal. He deserved exactly. it. Um, and, and the Marty Schottenheimer years, Marty Ball was a big part of me growing up. Uh, I'm quite a bit older than Ron, apparently, considering I was in high school during these years uh, while Ron uh, was was yet to be born. Yeah. But the there's a, another way to look at this. And this, you know, part of what makes us Chiefs fans is the shared tragedy, the right. shared experience of these horrible things happening year after year, especially through that era and especially in the playoffs. And so... You can think about this as when would you rather have Marty had won his title? Or you can think about it as which of these terrible losses could you erase from the collective memory of Chiefs right. fans? So on the on the positive side, I start with ni 1993 as the year that I would have liked to seen it actually happen because there was so much excitement around the Joe Montana 
Marcus Allen uh, being here along with the great offensive line and Derek Thomas and Neil yes. Smith on defense. And so those guys, again, also really deserved a ring. Uh, and so having that team uh, go to a championship and win one, I think would have been poetic. Uh, it would have been validating for the Montana trade and that, that brief era that it was. Montana, as you probably remember, went on to retire the following year. So this would have been the chance for Montana and Allen to bring a title uh, to the Chiefs in that era of, of Chiefs football. So that's my my first answer. Now, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, <laughs> the, the Lynn Elliott game, obviously, oh, man. for us even saying that name out loud is, is bold. We probably lost some listeners at the break <laughs> who heard you say the kicker who shall not be named right. and, and just didn't come back. But the, getting that game uh, out of our, our history, out of our minds would have been would have been great. Uh, but then your Super Bowl winning t- uh, quarterback would have been who, Ron? Yeah, Steve Bono, right? Oh, my yeah. gosh. See, then that's yeah. that's the other side of the coin you got to think about in this question. Um, you got to you got to think about a different few different ways. With- was that the year that they benched uh, or was that the year that they benched Gannon for? No, for not, that was the. That was 97. They yeah. brought him in way too late in the game. Um, I believe so. Actually, you know, honestly, I'm, I wasn't born. So you can't, you can't blame me if I'm wrong. So no <laughs> so way. I was, I was telling Ron, these years are kind of a blur to me for, I, I think just because I'm getting old and my memory isn't great, but there's, I think of this all as a collective era and it's hard to, to, to parse it into specific years, but um, you are looking at quarterbacks. If you just look at quarterbacks, you, do you want Montana to win one in 93 do you want Bono to win one in, in 95 or do you want Elvis Gerback to win one in, in 97? Um, and, and I don't know that any of those guys are going to be ring of honor players, uh, <laughs> you know, and, or nor should they be. Uh, but if they were the one that to win the title, uh, you'd have to have that conversation, right? Okay. Yeah. And, and you're right. And, and actually it was Gannon. Um, the Gannon Bono thing was 95. Gerback was just the, the flat out quarterback in 97. Um, but so, yeah, I, that's the thing, you know, if, if they keep Gannon in, I think it'd be kind of cool to get Gannon to, you know, he went on to be an MVP. So then maybe he stays with the chiefs, right. Cause he was the super bowl winner. You know, he goes on to have a great career, you know, maybe, you know, maybe be a, a great quarterback. So that's where it's kind of interesting, you know, Stags, I want to push back a little bit. You, so the Joe Montana thing, I mean, like it was cool that he came here and and, and it would have been cool if he actually came through and, and actually brought us a championship. But, you know, I mean, he's done it right. You know, he's won other Super Bowls. It'd be like, you know, getting someone sloppy seconds. Right. I mean, like you kind of you kind of you, you know, you don't you you may not want that. You may want to have like Gerback be like all of a sudden be elevated to a legendary Super Bowl winning quarterback. Right. I mean, that would be I don't know. I mean, am I am I making any sense there that, uh, you know, maybe the the legacy of the 49er leftover quarterbacks um you know montana was the was the good side of that and alex smith yeah. was as well um bono and gerback were, were not uh you know uh were not high on that list right so uh the and i guess uh gerback's more of a more of a former raven right but those those leftover quarterbacks of of somebody else's uh again emblematic of that era um but of those guys the easiest one to root for i think was joe montana i remember how excited that whole city was uh, when he was coming to town uh, and just the star power of him and marcus allen marcus allen was so much fun to watch then as he got a little bit older you know that maybe some of the explosiveness was gone but in that 93 season that's when he was uh impossible to stop on the goal line he was yeah. the guy that that just found a seam. Not the biggest guy, not the strongest guy, but but man, he you, you couldn't keep him out of the end zone that year. And and so so no, that that's the team. That's the one I'm going with. You get Derek Thomas his ring. You get Neil Smith his ring before he he defects. And uh, um, you know the the payoff of trading a first round pick uh, for an aging injured quarterback is a Super Bowl and not a loss in the AFC Championship game. And then he retires the following year. 
Well, that's a good point right there. Um, but you, you bring up Neil Smith. You know, he's on that 97 Broncos team that takes down the Chiefs. That's where I, I you know, where it'd be interesting, too, where it's like, do you bring down Elway before he gets his first ring and the Chiefs, you know, kind of cement themselves as the, the kings of the AFC West rather than the Broncos kind of being known as that, you know, for the next 10 plus years after winning those two Super Bowls, you know. That's fair. I, and and that, that game was such a fluky game as well. I mean, it was yes. 14 to 10, you know, uh, Gerbach actually statistically outplayed Elway <laughs> in every single category, including rushing yards. So, you know, there was that was not a signature Elway playoff win, you know, leading the team to a title. It was really Terrell Davis that had a big game uh, with a couple of touchdowns, including a 41 yard run. Uh, that's his Hall of Fame resume is the fact that he, he led them to a title really there. And so, yeah, it, it would have been nice to to keep Elway you know out of the uh out of the championship that year I'll, I'll I'll buy that and again you know give all the glory to Elvis Gerback for outplaying him and leading the Chiefs <laughs> on a playoff run that season that would have been that would have been interesting well I, I'll shout out you know and before we move on real quick I'll shout out uh you know Chiefs Twitter uh you know a very a very good follow on Chiefs Twitter um you know bird law expert he he all he runs the train or leads the train of, you know, John Noel is overrated, not that good of a quarterback. It's actually hilarious. The, the lengths he goes. So shout out bird law expert, but uh, what, what kind of, you, you got a question in mind you want to go to? I don't know where we want to go next. Yeah. Let's, let's go to the defensive side of the ball with G Freddie chiefs. Having lost the veteran leadership. Am I overzealous thinking that the linebacker and the defensive back rooms are greatly improved? I added greatly are improved going into the 22 <laughs> season and that the defensive line is really no worse and some potential to be improved. So the optimism is flowing out of G. Freddie here. Uh, what do you think? Well, we've, we've talked about this, Stags, and, and, and overzealous. I mean, you don't need to be overzealous about the linebackers. I mean, I think it's very obvious. You know, the departure of Hitchens allowing Bolton to step up into that Mike role, but also Neiman not being here and in the drafting of Leo Chanel. I mean, no question it's better. I don't think that's even a, a little addition by subtraction in both rooms <laughs> uh, <laughs> with Neiman and Sorensen moving on. Now I will say, I, I think it was you that just wrote a piece about how the linebacker room is coming together. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I wrote a few, man. I've been hyping this linebacker group up. I am, I'm leading that train for how good. Oh, I'm actually is. thinking of Rocky's piece. Uh, sorry, Rocky. Uh, about the, the tight personal bond between uh, Bolton and Willie Gay. Yeah. And, and they're asking, he's asking this question, is Elijah Lee the, the third amigo in this group, uh, which I think is a huge slight to our guy, Leo Chanel. So uh, I, I'm not sure how that room plays out, but I, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about Bolton and Gay at the top end, especially Bolton really asserting himself as a leader. And then, you know, you could – you use the athleticism of Gay more and use the, the versatility and athleticism and physicality of Leo Chanel there. Yeah. And, and that is true. Elijah Lee needs to be um, respected a little more, maybe for, for a position in this defense. You know, he is the veteran of the group. He is the guy. And, and that's something Bolton mentioned and, and Rocky, you know, obviously put in his article was that, you know, Lee has the experience that, that Bolton has definitely learned from. And, you know, Chanel is a rookie, and that, that could be tough for him to maybe, you know, maybe we are over-expecting what he could be um, right away. But I do think his athleticism, his his power in all respects, could be used in some way. So we'll definitely see some Chanel this year. In my you know, when Gay and Bolton, I think, uh, when they first came in as rookies, it seems like the team said, at least publicly, and then they tried to start them both off as Sam's. Mm-hmm. And 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 they said they would work into the will role, work into the mic role as they could be trusted more. Um, so I that's why I'm optimistic about Chanel having a limited role as a Sam. That's a position that's not on the field all that much. Uh, that he could have some very specified roles. He can get downhill a little bit, maybe rush the passer. Uh, that's why I think he he is that third guy. I do like Elijah Lee as a as a as a uh, special teams player. Yeah. And I Absolutely. think he very well can make the roster uh, as a special teamer um, that, that maybe has a more limited role. I am curious to see how some of the other players work out. But, but uh, I know we're, we're overly focused on linebackers here, but I, I think the defensive back room has definitely improved with a ton of young talent there on the, on the defensive back side. And, again, some subtractions that uh, are notable, um, but 
you know, I think you could argue pretty strongly that both of those rooms are younger, faster, more athletic, and and could be better. The defensive line, no worse with potential to be improved. That's the most interesting part of the statement, and I don't totally disagree with it. And I know that's, that's probably a controversial take around, around Chiefs Twitter because there's all this panic about their lack of pass rush. Uh, but if you line them up one by one with who they had last year, uh, you still got Chris Jones. You still have Derek Nighty in the middle. You know, they, they still have Colin Saunders, you know, for whatever he becomes. They brought in, and we talked about this on which positions were improved. Yeah. You know, they brought in our, our guy from, from Indianapolis that's, that's going to be that, you know, extra. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so Taylor Stallworth is that extra, you know, interior rusher. You still have Frank Clark on one side. And instead of Melvin Ingram, you have uh, Melvin Ingram and um, Alex Okafor. Now you have uh, George Kalafas. Um, so are they – you could argue that they're about the same. The expectation for Karloftis is probably in that four to six sack range, which is about the total of Okafor plus Ingram last year. Yeah, no, Ingram, we've talked about it, but he didn't really produce as many sacks as we all kind of in our heads, you know, think of the impact he had. He did have a good impact, and I do think, you know, missing out on him is good, is, is a big a bigger deal than um, it's it's not. You know, it's not a it's not a no deal, uh, no big deal at all. But I, I do think just when you when you think about, you know, what Jaron Reed brought to you, I think they can rep- replace that with the rotation they have at the defense tackle position. It really comes down to Karloftis, right? And I do think he can have a similar impact as Ingram, as you said. But overall, I, I do think when I look at what the pass rush looked, looked like, the exact pass rush looked like at the end of last year, I do think I would still rather take that group over what we know it as right now. Okay. With with knowing, you know, I know that potential, as you say, that's that's part of this equation, obviously. I still think, though, if you're just going, you know, this group or that group, what we know right now, I, w- I would take what we saw at the end of last year over what we have uh, right now. You know, I, I know that I'm the face of the anti-George Carlotta's movement in the draft, um, but I, and so I don't want it to seem like all of a sudden that I'm overly optimistic because he's because he's a chief and 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 I got to deal with it and, and get on board. Um, but I I do think what that team lacked in the playoffs last year. What did the Rams have that helped them win the Super Bowl? They had defensive closers what did the chiefs have when they won the super bowl yeah they had closers frank clark yes. chris jones were closers at when they needed to be when you needed a play they made the play they didn't have that at the end of the at the, the end of the season last year yeah you saw some tired defensive linemen you saw some some guys not chasing down plays from the backside uh and and when they needed a sack when they needed a stop there wasn't really anybody stepping up and 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 willing them uh, to victory. If there's anything Carlotta's has, it's will uh, and motor, uh, and and he's not going to give up on a play. Uh, and you know Clark should be really motivated this year. Uh, Skinny Frank, as he's being being portrayed <laughs> on Twitter, uh, we'll see how that all plays out. I think I do think honestly, for better or for worse, it all is going to hinge on Frank Clark again this year. Uh, I think Karloftis, we pretty much know what to expect. Keep your expectations low, four to six sacks, and, and you know, a, a good motor out of Karloftis. If Frank Clark is 2019 Frank Clark uh, versus 2021 Frank Clark, um, you know, there, that's a big difference. Um, and I think if he is playing like double-digit sack Frank Clark, then they're as good or better across the entire defense as they were last year. Uh, along with G. Freddie's uh, uh, question here. If yeah. he's not, uh, then they might not be. Uh, and again, there still could be another addition coming, um, even if it's not a flashy one. Yeah, no, that, that's true. That's that's a good point to, to, to bring out there. But no, I, I will say, though, with with the that, that's what he's saying with the potential for improvement. I, I see the Frank Clark point and everything. And the Karloftis point is your is the best argument for what he's talking about, the DL being maybe – um, better or what you, you know your point um because yeah I, I do think there was something there was a problem with finishing last year mm-hmm. and I, I would i would say Karloftis um will maybe correct that um at least right out the gate we'll see yeah i mean early returns are good and uh there is some upside there and, and i like the optimism at least uh at this time of the year that's the right way to be and what, until proven otherwise 
Let's move on to Robbie Adams' question, if you don't mind. Absolutely. With all the new defensive backs, who are the starters and the twos and the threes? What's that depth chart look like uh, if you had to pencil it in today, having seen very little uh, from the defensive back room so far just because uh, OTAs are not necessarily conducive for you know really getting a deep evaluation of de- defensive backs? Yeah, right. Yeah, we don't we don't know anything. Um, you know, they have what two practices or no, we're gonna have three practices open to the public um this week. Well, that'll be good. Or not open to the public, I should say, open to reporters. Um, but yes, it's pretty stationary though. When we're talking about your starting base D, I think it's McDuffie and Sneed at your corners and Reed and Thornhill at safety. I mean, that sounds right, right? I mean, I'll, there's no argument there. Yeah, not um, for the most part. I think uh, I think there could be. Of those, Thornhill's probably the one that that might uh, be replaced, and and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, how early is Brian Cook ready to take on more of that role? Uh, you know, Thornhill has a lot to prove this year, but he's not always been in the coach's you know good side. So we'll see what they do with him. But I think it's the safest bet. Yeah, McDuffie, Sneed, Reed, and Thornhill uh, as your initial starters, and then you. You got to go to Rashad Fenton as your third corner, yeah, uh, and yeah. and probably Cook as your third safety, right? Yes, and and I would say Snead moves into the slot in that scenario. You have Fenton as your outside corner, although you know Fenton does have some slot experience. We saw it at the beginning of his career; he's more of a slot guy. But I really like him as that uh, an outside corner. I really hope Snead's the one that moves inside. In I feel situations. like there's been some excitement around Joshua Williams, um, the fourth round pick. You know, small school guy, but has big tools and. Uh, yeah, I know that sounds odd to say out loud, but uh, he's, <laughs> he's he's a tall guy, you know, good length, good physicality. Um, he, he's got the makeup that they like, and it sure seems like he's uh, one that the coaches are high on and they're happy about. Uh, so he might have a shot there. Lonnie Johnson, to me, is the total uh, the, the total unknown that could shake up this room in, in one direction or the other. He might be nothing at all. Or he might be your other starter on the outside, and they let Snead do something different. Like, there's a whole range of outcomes for Lonnie Johnson, and we don't know a thing about how he fits in yet. Yeah, I actually, you know, I I think Joshua Williams makes sense to be one of those backups along with Lonnie Johnson. I mean, Johnson's experience may give him the advantage, but he's also hasn't been, you know, the greatest corner in the league. He's, you know, he's kind of a he, he's been a hybrid kind of player, safety and a corner, and those kind of players sometimes. You can't trust them. Maybe just stick at one position, especially like Spag likes to use his outside corners. So I think Joshua Williams absolutely has a chance to be that that direct um, backup. And you know, I, I think it shows you. I think it proves in the in the fact that they picked him in the fourth round, a guy from Fayetteville State. I mean, that's pretty. You know, they obviously had high regards for him coming into the draft. And then to round out the room, I've got Dion Bush and yeah. Um, Probably Jalen Watson making the roster with with uh, DeAndre Baker being the odd man out, uh, and also Nasi Johnson uh, being a, a practice squad guy this year. That's that's kind of the way I see it at this point. Uh, could go a lot of different ways. We'll wait and see. But I think Bush could make it just for special teams and to have a guy with some experience there. And then uh, uh, you know DeAndre Baker. It just seems like they're doing everything they can to replace him. So we'll see uh, how that plays out. But if I had to, you know, gun to head today, uh, I, I think that's how it plays out. Yeah, I think Deion Bush is the fourth safety right now. I, I, I he's that, and that's where the twos and threes thing gets a little, you know, har- uh, harder to do because, you know, if they have an actual fifty-three man roster, there's, you know, there's not really a, a third string safety, at, you know, besides, you know, I, I mean, I guess there, you know, there's four safeties, but in terms of if you have Thornhill, Cook, and Reed all, and at the same time, Bush is that fourth safety, he might just be the last safety in the group. Um, so then, you know, you don't have a, a third necessarily, but yeah, no, I think, I think we kind of laid it out pretty well. I, I think that's how the DB room should look. Well, at this point, I, I, I'm looking forward to the second edition of, of Ramblin' Ron and see if there's a, a mountain to be made out of a molehill here. Uh, Ron, what do you got for us this week? Well, the mountain being made out of the molehill is, is not by me. It's by Tyreek Hill uh, making, you know, turning what needed, you know, Things that just did not need to be said. And his podcast is called It Needed to Be Said. None of these things needed to be said. I, I, I can just tell you that much. I really, you know, and that's my, honestly, my first problem with the Tyree Kill um, podcast. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. This is all more and fun. 
you know, I broke it down on Sixth Sense Sports with Jay on Sunday. So I got into it a little bit just to, you know, get my takes off. And, you know, you know, this is all Tyreek Hill coming out, you know, kind of wanting to talk about the trade, wanting to talk about, you know, what happened exactly, why he's with the Dolphins now. One of the biggest things I, I take, took away from it was that he's just trying to appease everybody. He's kind of talking out both sides of his mouth on this one. He's trying to kind of, you know, he's trying to be, hey, look, I wanted to be a chief, but they didn't want to pay me, right? Even though, you know, if you listen to some of that interview, you know, a lot of, you know, he, he kind of mentioned that they were only a few sh- dollars short of the guaranteed money. But in the same breath, he also said he didn't care about being the, t- the highest paid receiver. He just wanted 25 or 26 million, which if it's only a few dollars, you know, guaranteed dollars short, you're probably in that ballpark, Tyreek. So, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, I, I really think there is something to that. And and I also just think pleasing everybody, you know, trying to like make the Dolphins fans feel all good about him being there by insulting Patrick Mahomes, man. He, he, he goes on the podcast saying, oh, you know, I wouldn't, you know, Mahomes obviously has a stronger arm than Tua, which, you know, at least he, he at least he said that. At least he, he gave us that one. But then he goes on to say, uh, you know, he directly says Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. And as someone that just wanted to paint the picture that he's still cool with Patrick, that's what he said in the interviews that, you know, I talked to Patrick, I talked to Andy, you know, and, and, and actually Andy made it sound like, you know, Andy wanted him to be there. But, you know, besides that, just throwing him under the bus, like that, throwing Patrick under the bus, the guy that's supposedly your friend, just insulting him, calling a, a third year quarterback that hasn't proven anything more accurate than the guy has already won a Super Bowl and an MVP, you know, guy that has already, you know, proven it off. Obviously, I just think that didn't need to be said. And so he's just, start, you know, he's just starting fires for no reason. And then all, all that, you know, all that to say on top of all that, he comes out and uses underutilization thing, which is kind of the theme of the podcast talks about, you know, a specific game last year. He only had three catches, 14 yards against the Ravens. Tyree, like, I, I feel like I shouldn't have to explain to you why that happened and why it actually benefited the offense because the rest of the receivers had a great, had great games that game. And the offense actually scored a lot of points that game, had a great game. They just fumbled, you know, Clyde fumbled at the very end, and that's why the game was lost. So, you know, I, I just think all that together and Tyreek not really acknowledging any of his flaws, any of the, you know, the the, the five turnovers he caused last year with, with drop passes and, and fumbling, obviously, the one time, too. I just think it, it's just a, there is something to Tyreek just kind of unnecessarily saying all of this and just kind of like trying to, you know, appease people. But if anything, he just, in my opinion, just, you know, threw some chief, you know, people he used to play with under the bus a little bit and just kind of for no reason, really just try to talk out both sides of his mouth when nothing needed to be really said. In my opinion, he could have just went on to the dolphins, had a good, you know, year with them. And that, that could have been the talking, but now he wants to try to stir some stuff up, which I don't get, but um, there's rambling Ron. That's, that's all I want to ramble about today. Yeah. This, this is a situation that, you know, these types of things I, I get annoyed about. I, I, I don't need to hear somebody complaining about, you know, uh, they're not you. I mean, Hill <laughs> complaining about yes. this bad, like a bad breakup. You know, it's yes, and that's what had that friend who broke up with somebody, and then they said, "Oh, they were ugly anyway." So, well, <laughs> you were just dating them. They clearly, you clearly didn't think they were ugly at the time, and so it, it's one of those things where it's just you know sour grapes. It's it's you know whatever it is. Um, it didn't need to be said. That's 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 and the, the and that's the funniest part is that the podcast is called it's needed to be it needed to be said and it, it didn't need to be said, Tyreek. Like you're just he just wanted to get he wants this podcast to get going. It got a bunch of views. I listened to it. I watched the whole thing. You know, I I think that was part of it. But at the same time, I just feel like he could have done that. He could have teased it a little more and maybe not said as much. But he ended up saying some some pretty you know in my opinion disrespectful things to the Chiefs, which you know hey that doesn't really matter. But it's just, you know, I just figured that was just it, just, it just didn't need to be said, as we as we always say. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on the field this season and when it comes to accuracy. And if you're frustrated about your utilization in Kansas City, uh, ask Jalen Waddle how the utilization was in Miami last season. I mean, that guy had over 100 targets and and just like not even a right at 1,000 yards. Yeah, uh, I so think you're, you're right, yeah. Your depth of targets going to go down. Uh, and and maybe two is accurate because he doesn't throw downfield, uh, and so you know. Well, it's also it's also OTAs. I mean, it's also like I just that's why it's funny to me. Like he didn't he could he didn't need to say that he's more accurate. He could have just said, "Hey, you know, it's it, two is looking good right now." I'm not going to say he's more accurate than Pat. That'd be silly. Like he could play that off, laugh that off, and it'd be n- not a big deal. Mm-hmm. He hasn't even seen him throw in training camp yet. Like he couldn't even wait to say that until he's seen him lot. Like it's just. 
he's just he's just stirring stuff up just to try to appease both fan bases and not look like the bad guy. But I think it just made things worse, maybe. <laughs> That's what usually happens when you try to play both sides of a of an yeah. equation there. Uh, and yeah, you, you expect people after they leave to say things and have things said about them that, you know, are in direct conflict to how uh, they were treated when they were here or, or how they right. treated others when they were here. So it's not surprising. It's a little disappointing, a little annoying, but it is what it is. Um, you know, that's probably a good, as good a place as any to stop, uh, wrap this thing up for this week. Uh, there's plenty uh, of other great questions that you all asked that we didn't have time to get to. Uh, we'll keep those on the list for next time. As I'm sure with some news coming up, some some new Chiefs footage out there, some new highlights or, or conversations we can have uh, as they get through mandatory minicamp. Well, those practices start this week. So as you're listening to this, they're probably going to be practicing in minicamp. Uh, everybody's expected to be there, thus the word mandatory. Uh, but again, we appreciate you taking the time out to be with us today. Definitely keep listening, rating, reviewing all the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Definitely stick with us. Come back next time in just a couple of weeks. But more out of structure, more segments, more of your questions, and hopefully some more good news and optimism coming from Chiefs Camp. <laughs>